Well, good morning, everyone. This is quite something, actually. When I was driving here this morning, in my minivan, sliding all over the place, I was like, it is going to be a pretty empty church service this morning. And look at you all. This is fantastic. I'm I'm very impressed. Give yourselves a round of applause. Yes. So, here I am. I wasn't scheduled to preach today, but I'm up here. And I had to fill in last minute, and I'm really excited to do it. Today, it's special for me, because I've been holding on to this for a long time. This is actually a different version of the first sermon I ever did, uh, way, way back, a couple years ago. And I'm, I'm really excited to share it again today. So, a good way to start it off is with the thought that was already brought to us today, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by God's spirit. And I want to look at how sometimes we receive victory through the things that we're trying to go through, the things that we're trying to compete against. We actually receive victory in that by resting, by coming into agreement with what God is working in our lives. There's this really interesting story about a Russian scientist. I'm probably going to say his name wrong. It's something along the lines of Mondelev. It's something like that. So he was a promising scholar, and by the time he was 20 years old, he'd already published several different papers. And he attended the world's first chemistry conference at age 26. In his mid-30s, he was intensely preoccupied with classifying the 56 known elements at that point. He struggled to find an underlying principle that would organize them according to sets of similar properties. So he's really trying to figure out how do we organize the, what we now know as the periodic table of elements. So here's an excerpt from a book that was written about him. As Mendeleev's eyes ran once more along the line of ascending atomic weights, he suddenly noticed something that quickened his pulse. Certain similar properties seemed to repeat in the elements at what appeared to be regular numerical intervals. Here was something. But what? A few of the intervals began with a certain regularity, but then the pattern just seemed to peter out. Despite this, Mandilov soon began became convinced that he was on the brink of a major breakthrough. There was a definite pattern there somewhere, but he just couldn't grasp it. Momentarily, and overcome by exhaustion, Mandilov leaned forward, resting his shaggy head on his arms, and almost immediately fell asleep. It was during this sleep, it was during this nap that he had that the concept behind the periodic table of elements came into his head. This is, this is so very different than how we would think about something. Now, a lot of times 
when we sleep, we're able to process things in a different way in a season of rest. But here he is. He's a very promising scholar. He's a very intelligent man. And you'd figure throughout all of those intelligence, through, through might, by force, by power, he would be able to trudge through and get to the goal that he was looking at getting. But it was actually by retreating, it was actually by resting that he was able to come to this incredible revelation. It's almost similar to the, the Chinese finger trap thing. You know the, the finger trap, when, the harder you pull, the more tension that there is there, it just locks you in like that. It's through submitting, it's through accepting and you come together that you're actually able to experience the freedom. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about freedom from sin. I want to talk about what it is that we are accepting. What are we receiving into our hearts when, when we're talking about all of this? And I'm going to use the story of Samson to do that. Now, we are in a series called Misfits, and some characters are more misfitting than others. Samson is a proper misfit. I will go on record today to say that if I was writing the Bible or compiling the Bible, composing it, I probably wouldn't have Samson in there. His character and what he did, his uh, non God-related excursions are not favorable for, how, for the Bible. They don't make us look good. Let's put it that way. I was thinking about this. You know how Hollywood has their walk of fame and we have all these Hall of Fame things. Like in Hebrews 11, they talk about the heroes of faith. Samson's actually recognized in there. Now, if we were to have a Christian Hall of Fame, Walk of Fame, whatever, maybe in Jerusalem, it would be similar to putting Wilt Chamberlain in there. He has done some pretty incredible things physically, but off the court, uh, he was known as a womanizer of great magnitude. His character doesn't really show. People actually debate whether or not Wilt Chamberlain was a Christian. I don't know, but I wouldn't necessarily put him on a list of people that I would want to say, yes, look at this guy and try to be like this guy. But we see this in Hebrews, which is, to me, extremely interesting. He is a proper misfit in that he was, he was a womanizer, and that was as we mentioned earlier, the sin that so easily entangles for him. There are lots of different ways that we can learn lessons. I, as a preacher, I learn lessons by watching people like Brent, who have more experience than I do, and I get to learn some of the literary devices that he uses and some ways that he introduces and talks about things, and I, and I learn from him like that, and that's wonderful. I also learn from people who are around the same level as me and people who have less experience than me. And sometimes I learn from them in ways of doing things that they shouldn't do. Today with Samson, we're going to learn from him by recognizing what we shouldn't do. So I'm going to more or less summarize 
the story of Samson's life. I'm going to skip over a whole bunch of details. I really encourage you to read Judges 13 to 16 on your own time. It could very well be one of the most entertaining stories in the Bible. It is extremely entertaining. I love the language that they use all the time. For example, he he has to wrestle with a lion at a certain point, and he says that he tears the lion apart as one would tear apart a young goat. Now, that's going to relate to all of us, but that's just interesting writing. So the story of Samson's life starts in a miraculous way. Manoah, his father, and his wife were not able to conceive. And then the angel of the Lord comes to them and tells them, gives them some instructions on how they are to raise Samson. They don't give him the name Samson yet, but when he does this, some of the instructions are you may never cut his hair, and he's never to have any strong drink, fermented drink, wine, etc., and some other things. So this is, this is the story of his life. Now, at a certain time, as he's getting a little bit older, he meets a woman in Timnah, and the line is that she looks good to him. Now, this is Samson's criteria for what you need to get married. So because she looked good to him, he told his father that he wanted to marry her. On the way, he sees the line, tears it apart as one would tear apart a young goat. And sometime later, he comes back to that line, sees some bees there. Now he's intrigued. He goes and looks at the bees, and sure enough, they're building a nest there. And so he takes some of the honey, eats it himself, gives some to his parents. Now they're at the wedding ceremony. They have 30 groomsmen for him, and he gives them a riddle. He says, Out of the strong comes something sweet. Out of the eater comes something to eat. And they have to guess what this riddle is. They, they can't get it. So they do something a little underhanded. They go to the woman that Samson was supposed to marry, and they threaten her. And they say that they are going to kill her unless she gets out of him the answer to the riddle because they don't want to go broke and they don't want to give him a set of clothes. Now, she asks him again and again, over and over. She's guilting him. She's shaming him. She's crying. She's pulling all the cards to get. Samson stays put and eventually succumbs to the nagging. He succumbs to the pressure that she was giving him. Now, the Lord comes powerfully upon him, and Samson goes into a neighboring village and kills 30 people and takes their clothes. Very interesting story. Then in Judges 16, we see the story of Samson and Delilah. Now, this is a fascinating story. Samson falls in love with Delilah, and you have to understand that Samson posed an incredible threat to the Philistine people. They wanted him gone. They were trying anything they could to get Samson out of the picture because they knew that they couldn't, no matter how many of them there were, they couldn't defeat him in battle. 
At one point, he took on a thousand men with just a donkey's jawbone. They couldn't touch him. And they knew that because the power of God was on him. So they, they knew that there was something special and they were trying to figure out what that something special was. What was his secret? What was his kryptonite, so to speak? So they bribe her. You know, there is the sin that so easily entangles. Maybe Delilah loved Samson. Maybe she didn't. But if she did... She loved money more. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And her love for money was greater than her love for Samson. And so she accepted the bribe. Now this is where we can start to learn the lesson from Samson. When she, she came to him and said, asked him what his secret was, which may be reasonable, but he didn't tell her. He, he told her a lie. That night, he gets tied up. The Philistines are coming. And he, he breaks them as easily as thread when it gets too close to a flame. Again, fantastic writing. Now, what's interesting is, Samson stays... This is really interesting, right? What, what do you do? The woman you love just tried to hand you over to your enemies. Obviously. But Samson stays in the picture. And then she does it again. And again, three times, the Philistines try to spring a trap against Samson. And then she keeps going and coming at him and coming at him and coming at him until he was bothered to death by it. You see, a lot of people think that Samson was strong physically, but not necessarily strong mentally. I think he was. I think he endured a lot of temptation. I think he endured keeping his secret to himself for a very long time, probably past the amount of time that most people would. But eventually, she wore him down, and he told her the truth. That night, he falls asleep with his head on her lap, and they come in. Now, there's a really sad line there. As he wakes up, when he hears the Philistines are coming, He thinks that he's just going to do what he's done before. And the sad line is, he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. (sighs) The Lord had left him. Later on in the story, God redeems Samson for one final blow. But... I wonder how much different Samson's story would have played out if he would have taken the advice of Paul. Paul writes to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. If, if you guys want to turn there, please do. I looked it up earlier. I think it's around page 969 in the Pew Bibles. I think it's somewhere around there. He writes to him some really fantastic advice. He's talking about the evils that are in the world. 
And one of those evils is the one that I just mentioned. It's the love of money. But there are a lot of evil things that present themselves back in Timothy's day, in Paul's day, and also in our day now. There are a lot of evil things that tempt us, that try to pull us away from God's, origin, God's intended plan for us. So, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, Paul gives some absolutely fantastic advice. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold to the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives, you, who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting is Paul's advice isn't, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. You are above all of these evil things. Fight them. It shouldn't even be a problem for you because you're a Christian now. Maybe we wouldn't phrase it like that, but we do sort of think that way, don't we? We do think that, well, now I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have to deal with these pressures. I shouldn't have to deal with these temptations. I should be above them. I shouldn't. That's not Paul's advice. Paul's advice is much better than that. It's flee. It's get away from it. If Samson would have taken that advice and the first time when Delilah tempted him and and he lied to her, And then they sprang that trap. If he would have fled at that point, it would have been a very different story. So I have four four steps that I would like to suggest. One of them is, the first, it's to recognize, recognize, then to flee, then agree, and community. I could have made the first one discovery, then they all would have ended with the E sound, but that was just too much. So it's recognize. Pay attention to the tension. If there is a a tension that you're feeling, something just doesn't quite feel right. I'm not quite sure what this person's motive is. I, I just feel an unease about what is about to happen or what's not happening. Sometimes Holy Spirit speaks to us through our guts, so to speak. And, and we feel this tension, eh? We see this several times throughout the Bible. One of my favorite examples is when Paul and Silas are worshiping and the, the prison door opens up and they don't leave. I think there must have been a tension that he felt, which is Holy Spirit speaking to him that he was supposed to stay there. But there is a tension that we feel. And sometimes it's to, do, to not do something, and sometimes it's to do something. 
Sometimes we feel a tension that we are supposed to be praying to God or we are supposed to be worshiping or discerning or we can feel a tension in many different areas of our life. But it's interesting because I promise you, I promise you, Holy Spirit is speaking to you on a regular basis. A lot of times we don't recognize that he's doing it though. So pay attention to the tension. So the first step is to recognize. The second step is to flee. This is really good advice. It is, it can be difficult to implement, but if you recognize that something is off, you can choose to fight that temptation again and again, fighting the temptation. Maybe eventually you get worn down, maybe you don't. But you can choose to fight it or you can separate yourself from it. A simple example of this would be cookies or something. If, you're, if your weakness is cookies and you keep buying cookies at the grocery store, you're kind of your own worst enemy. It's way easier to just not have the temptation than to know that those cookies are in the cupboard all the time and have to fight that temptation. But this works in, in so many different areas of life. Perhaps you have a friend and this friend gossips constantly. And when you're with them, you just can't help yourself because there's this distorted sense of power that you feel when you gossip about someone. Maybe you're not meant to, maybe it's good to back away from that person for a little while and just not partake in that. And when you're with them, it's too much temptation. So to just flee from that temptation, to separate yourself from that temptation. Maybe it's the same thing with friends that just, they're not fine with you having one drink and they just always want you to have you know, three or four or a dozen or whatever it might be. And Chantel's giving me the eyebrows. It's like, why don't you use that example? I don't know. Sorry, Chantel. <laughs> That was just too funny. Um, maybe, this is, maybe this has to do with sexual temptations, and that can be sexual temptations that are on the computer or maybe a certain person gives you a weird feeling or something, but to remove yourself from those temptations that may be the right move to make. There was a Christian movie a couple years back where uh, a man had a very difficult time with what can be on the internet. And so there's this, there's this scene where he's sitting down on his computer, he's supposed to just check email or something like that, and he just says, oh, why is this so hard? The next scene, you see him in his backyard with a baseball bat just smashing up his computer. Now, it, it's an extreme example, I understand that. But the idea was that the temptation was too strong for him to fight. So he separated himself from the temptation. He removed the obstacle that was there. Sometimes it's way better to just remove obstacles than it is to fight them. So we need to recognize, we need to flee, and then agree. We need to agree with what God says and what God thinks. In Paul's advice to Timothy, he says in verse 11, 
flee from all this and pursue, and there's a list, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Now, all those are good things, but I just want to focus today on righteousness. There are certain things that when you understand them properly, they absolutely rock your world. Righteousness is one such thing. We have received, get this, Christ's righteousness. That's amazing. That is actually unbelievable. Many Christians don't properly believe this, but it's true. We have received Christ's righteousness, his right standing before God, his character and what he did is available to us who believe. That is so absolutely revolutionary. You can't continue living life the same way when you, the more you recognize this. And this doesn't come from striving. It doesn't come by power. It doesn't come by might. It doesn't come by striving or trying to earn. You cannot earn this. It comes from receiving it. It comes through abiding. It comes through agreeing. Christ's righteousness is available to you. We pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. When we're praying your kingdom come, we, we can be praying for miracles. We can be praying for salvations. We can be praying for the sick to be healed because there's no sickness in the kingdom of God. But what about the character? What about character? What about your character in heaven? Kingdom come in terms of your heart. May your heart be eternally and continually changed by his kingdom, by his righteousness coming into you. So pursue righteousness. Agree with what God is doing, with how God sees you. There is so much power, and I cannot overstate it, and I can't, bring, I can't talk about all the facets of righteousness today, but hopefully over my decades here, I'll be able to. It is so multifaceted. It changes you from the inside out. Learn about how God sees you. Continually learn about how God sees you and come into agreement with it. So we recognize, we pay attention to the tension. We flee from all of these evil things. We agree with how God sees us. And then there's community. Community is so powerful. Paul here says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. God places us in community for a reason. He places us with people that love us and want the best for us, 
for a reason. When you spend time with people, I'll encourage you to aim up. Pick friends, pick people in your life that have values that you aspire to have. You become like the six people that you hang around with the most. This is actually very important. If you want to be praying and trying to discern from God more, hang around with people that do that. For my own life, I try to pick friends who want more out of, out of their life, that they want to see the sick healed, that they want to see the kingdom of God come. I try to pick friends who are ahead of me spiritually. It is really important that you pick a community around you that embodies the values that you have. So there we go. We have four, I'd say, fairly logical steps of recognizing, flee, agree, and community. But with temptations, if we use our friend with the computer again, we kind of need computers in 2022. So how is it that you can return? Is it ever possible to return to something that used to tempt you? Well, I used to be tempted by cookies and I'm not really tempted anymore. But sometimes things are, well, things are typically more important than that. Is there a, does a time come when you can return? Now, I'm going to illustrate this with a story. And before I do, I recognize that it's very dorky. But it really does illustrate it well, I believe. Years ago, I was playing a video game. And this was the type of video game where you, you start off with a character. Their character is, level is zero when you start. And you have zero items. And as you play the game, your character's level goes up. And you get stuff and all that kind of stuff. Now, I was playing against a villain in the game. And I tried and I tried and I tried to beat them. And I just couldn't. And we're illustrating this with with the temptation and how this temptation defeats you over and over again. So what did I do? I retreated. And I went back and I worked on developing my character. And for the purposes of what we're talking about today, that's coming into agreement with how God sees me. But I went back and I developed my character. And I went up a few levels, so to speak. Then when I went back, To go against that villain again, I was able to beat them the first try fairly easily because my character had developed so much. Now, I'm not going to tell you when. I don't know when it may be a safe time to put yourself back in a situation, to go back to that friend that gossips or whatever your situation might be. And maybe that time is never. But I do believe that the gospel works. I do believe that we are changed from the inside out. I do believe that we have received Christ's righteousness. And when we agree with that, our desires change. Our hearts change. We are transformed by the gospel. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are present in our lives and that you care for us and God and that you are speaking to us all the time. God, how much hurt we could avoid in our lives if we paid attention to the tension. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. And God, I pray that we can be open and obedient to what you have to say to us. God, give us the courage to flee when we need to flee. And give us the eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us. God, we pray all this in your name. Amen.